1: Welcome to New Books and Film, a podcast series on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Joel Cherney. My guest today is again Dr. Kate Fortmuller, Assistant Professor at the University of Georgia. In the second of our two-part interview, we discuss her other new book, Hollywood Shutdown, Production, Distribution, and Exhibition in the Time of COVID, published in 2021 by University of Texas Press. In one of the first studies of the effect of COVID-19 on entertainment, Kate presents a review of the initial period of the pandemic and how Hollywood and other producers quickly developed new methods of delivering product. Welcome again, Kate Fortmuller. I'm continuing my discussion with Dr. Kate Fortmuller, who is an assistant professor at the Grady College Department of Environment and Entertainment. And media studies at the University of Georgia. We just talked about her first book that came out this year, "Below the Stars: How the Labor and Working Actors, How the Labor of Working Actors and Extras Shape Media Production." But at the same time, she also has a second book that came out this year. Um, there's a couple publicity shots of her with both of them. So uh, she obviously was quite prolific over the last couple of years. Although this one was clearly written. To be more current event than than academic, and that's Hollywood shutdown, production, distribution, and exhibition in the time of COVID. So your last book, Below the Stars, was was generally historical in nature, although you did bring it pretty much up to the present. But you had all an afterward in there that first that that discussed the issues related to COVID and uh, the epidemic, and we talked about that in that interview, but. Where did we? Do, where did you quickly decide that you wanted to continue your discussion, and how did this book come across? Given how fast it had to have been done, since uh, we, as we know, COVID as a as an issue didn't really start until March or so of 2020, and we're in October of 2021. So it was a very short period of time ago. Where what was the? And this one is also published by the University of Texas Press, so same publisher. Uh, where did the genesis of this come from?
0: So you asked that as how did you quickly decide? I did not quickly decide um, actually. Um, so as I was finishing up um, below the stars and writing the postscript, which we talked about in the last podcast that I kind of, it took me a while to even get my head around writing a postscript about the pandemic for the other books. So um, a little bit fuzzy, I guess, on the timeline of the various conversations, but I wrapped up revisions on below the stars, probably like late spring, early summer. Um, And somewhere in there, um, Jim Burr, the acquisitions editor actually reached out to me and asked, would you be interested in writing a book like a general audience book about the pandemic? And so I initially um, I guess the other sort of sidebar, I was actually also teaching a version of a, I teach media industries class at university of Georgia. And um, I was teaching a version that was supposed to be media industries in context. And the context was supposed to be in LA in an LA internship program. So I had to quickly pivot that class to a new context. And the context was pandemic media industries. So I, w- I had already done a lot of brainstorming to think about that context to teach. Um, so I was sort of teaching this this class that was like a, hitting a moving target. Um, and he hadn't actually had no way to know that, but um, had raised it um, with me. So I met with um, Jim over the summer and basically he was like, is this something that you think you could do? Is this interesting? I had initially gone through and basically came up with three or four table of potential table of contents that I could do for a book like that. Um, and asked a few questions about scope and what they were thinking. And then took those table of contents and drafted a um, just basically pitched a proposal. Um, on that book, um, pitched a crazy proposal that would have never been finished <laughs> by the end of the year. It had eight chapters that required all these like interviews and research. And it was this total kind of massive academic endeavor that I do not think I could have finished quickly. And I don't know why I thought that I could have finished it in that amount of time. Um, they basically looked at it met with I guess, met with the editorial staff and were like, okay, we want this one too. Can you give us something shorter? Um and so I took that proposal, pared it down, made it much more manageable in terms of sources, um, and you know, paired it, just pared it down significantly, frankly, instead of having a million chapters, sort of took three sections and gave myself like a few key issues for each. Um, section and sent them that and they were like great and basically I set myself a schedule um, that I was going to do one section per month and every time I finished a section I would send it off to UT um, just to make sure more than anything that I was hitting the tone correctly, um, because obviously the tone of this book is really different than an academic book. And there's certain things that we talked about in terms of citation style. And there's certain academic phrasings that are not great for a general reader book. um, But yeah, so wrote basically a a third of the book um, in a month per month. And then it was out for review in January and kind of trucking from there. But I actually signed the contracts on hollywood shutdown on october 20th 2020 so um, so basically
1: about a month after the book is ends as far as what you you basically in the book and we can we can start getting into it now uh, you you basically picked the period from march or so to september uh as your initial period because that was an obvious way to uh do that. I mean, I know for a fact that shutdowns were pretty obvious. I think about my wife's situation. She works at Marshall University and um, she was at home actually for a short period of time because where she works, they reopened at least somewhat for people early in the summer, actually in May, because at that point, as we now know, there was a downsizing of cases of COVID last year, but that was partly because everybody was outside and everything apart from each other. But then, so by the end of that summer, there was some opening up going on. It wasn't until we got into the cooler areas, the colder times that things got bad again. So it is yeah. a pretty good period to consider. And obviously I would guess that the timeliness of it is why, you know, you needed to come up with a finite period to talk about since this was going to be a pretty quick turnaround.
0: Yeah, I think, um, and uh, yeah, I think, and there was a little bit of debate about that actually, even at the end, it was, should I end with the HBO or the Warner Media announcement Mm -hmm. of everything going to HBO Max that happened in December? Um, I think that ultimately, I think that ending with Mulan and the release of Mulan makes kind of the most, still makes the most sense to me. Um, I think one way like it is the title is hollywood shutdown and it's about it being kind of completely shut down and the pivots that come along with that i think the hbo announcement i mean obviously all of this is still ongoing this is sort of the thing that's tricky Mm -hmm. about this in general and every converse i think on some level every conversation i have about this book is a little different um depending on when i'm having the conversation but I think the Warner Media announcement speaks more to strat like long-term strategy than pandemic pivot um so I would say that I think the 9 months is still a good marker um but yes obviously when you're writing about anything that is very contemporary you have to you have to put a <laughs> you have stop to anymore. stop at some point um cuz it's this is not a like living breathing online book that I'm constantly reworking um and actually um I think it's, uh, MIT Press, I think, has something like that happening with an economist who's been writing some stuff about the pandemic and has been updating it as an online open access book um, for months. Um, This is not that. I think I'm thankful for that.
1: (laughs) One of the things you state right in the introduction or in the early part of the book is that in many ways, many of the methods that Uh, The streaming services in particular and the studios behind them did certain things, as we'll talk about, were plans they pretty much already had in mind that they were already doing to an extent, especially with developing media that was always going to be met for the streaming services as opposed to feature, you know, normal uh, uh, exhibition in, in theaters. But that this tended to push the process along.
0: Yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think this, none of this, it's, I mean, when the timing of the pandemic is pretty, I guess maybe uncanny is the best way to put it for the media industries because it was, it really coincided with when the like period that we were going, that a a lot of these streaming services were going to launch. So that, fact is particularly interest. I think that's interesting and created all sorts of kind of like know, chaos for lack of a better word. Um, so yeah, there were, there were always, this was always going to be kind of a, a moment or a historical moment of reinvention and shifts and um, yeah, all of, all of these things that we're seeing with, a greater reliance on streaming services was absolutely in the cards. I don't think that anyone wanted this, to, anyone in Hollywood wanted this to be the rollout. Obviously there were all this new content that they were planning on making to put on their streaming services as a way to lure people away. I t- so I talk a little bit about that and also thinking about sort of specifically Disney Hotstar was launching in India to time with, you know, cricket. So you were going to get all these new subscribers that were tied to a sports event that could now no longer happen. Um, So they had all these things that were meant to lure audiences away as part of the as part of the launch. And none of that could really happen because of the timing. But um, so I think all of obviously they all wanted to build their subscriber bases um, to be more, you know, stronger, larger, more loyal and based on content and had to figure out different ways to, to do that um, in light of the changes. So yeah, my, my general point, um, and I'm not sure that this is a particularly hot take, but it's uh, that this, this didn't radically alter. It only sped up.
1: Well, let's go ahead and start a new conspiracy theory. Hollywood was behind COVID so that they could push this along faster. No, actually, China's involved, so that's part of it, too. I mean, I'm waiting for the best first great book on the subject of how China affects feature films these days, and people don't oh, really are aware of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Anne Cocos' Hollywood and China is great. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, this is, I was going to say that, yeah. But yes, um, the impact of China it cannot be understated. Mm-hmm.
1: It's funny you talked about Hotstar, and I have to admit I'm a cricket fan, which makes me unusual in this country. And I remember last year where the COVID shut down arguably the largest, most important Indian cricket tournament, the Indian Pr- Pr- Premier League. Now they ended up finally, it usually is in March. And of course, it never it didn't happen. They did end up having it in the fall they once again went over, they, they left India to do it. Uh, and then, of course, this year, they started in India, and then there, were, there was an outbreak, and they've just now coming up, they're just finishing it now. They finally did get to the last, the final match is Saturday, Friday. But anyway, um, Hot Star is important for that because that was the way that people in the United States, if they wanted to watch it. And, of course, now Hotstar Star mm-hmm. doesn't even exist anymore because Disney has folded it into their brands the crickets with espn now and the feature film and other materials is now with hulu so you know it's just an example of how and that's of course when disney plus launched that's what uh, disney said they were going to continue to push this and but they would separate it based on uh content so family fair or you know pg up to that point would be on disney plus and the rest of it would be on hulu
0: yeah, these re- I mean these reorganizations are <clears throat> to to privilege the streaming sites have been also I again this is another thing that probably was not slated to happen this year but has been really essential especially when you have lo- lost like major losses in other divisions obviously Disney Parks um, which is hugely profitable didn't do much for them this mm-hmm. past year
1: and of course they also were competing with Netflix who had already obviously started as a streaming service, never had anything else that was ex- exhibiting outside of the streaming service, but has now branched out to the fact that they've now had Academy Award nominated and winning uh, movies because it started streaming with just enough exhibition to qualify them. So, for example, movies like The Irishman and and The Two Popes and other movies that and Mank that are all what I would consider to be as good quality as any other, any feature film that's out there. And yet, um, they were always streaming want first and exhibition later. And now we're starting to see more and more as, as you're pointing out that the other streaming services are using the pandemic to get to that stage themselves.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: So obviously we know the pandemic hit beginning in February, um, and then, of course, March is where the shutdowns happen. And and even though we call it a Hollywood shutdown, it really shut down the entire entertainment industry, which we can use to say Hollywood everywhere. Um, one of the things, and, and hopefully people remember all this, but I think we all had our lives to worry about too, so maybe we miss some of this sometimes, but you review it in your introduction, where you talk about nobody knew for sure what to do. And the fact is, is that, Everybody had different plans. I still remember sitting and hearing about March Madness being canceled literally within minutes. It was first it was there and then it was gone. So what, you know, let's review a little bit about early on in Hollywood. It's specifically movies, but also television shows and anything live related that would have effect that that was quickly affected by the pandemic.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the it was. It's it's really. Well, I, I'll backing up, I would say it was really strange even writing this last fall, um, and just even trying to construct a timeline of when things happened. Um, I describe it in the book as whiplash. Um, it, it's pretty it was pretty stunning just even kind of reflecting on the speed at which things were happening and the kind of chain of events, right? So I think obviously I yeah, March Madness was shocking. I was in Vegas. <laughs> days before, um, which might, ha- might have something to do with some of the references, the sports betting that are in that book. Um, but I was in Vegas um, right before everything shut down. So watching March Madness- What the heck? You
1: might as well go out with a bang. What the heck?
0: <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I was going to say, so part of March, what I was doing is sending back betting slips and getting <laughs> reimbursed. Um, so yeah. So March Madness, I mean, I think I it was just so- I don't know. I'm so cynical. I guess I just didn't believe that anyone cared enough about public safety to shut down March Madness. It just seemed like it was um, that was worth too much money. So I, I will say that was quite shocking for me because all we ever talk about is kind of the revenue generated by March Madness that when it shut down, I was quite stunned um, that anyone cared about anyone's health and safety that much. Um, so. Um, and I could think of yeah. examples
1: of basketball <laughs> games that were literally stopped yeah. right in the middle and said the games canceled and because yeah. we at that point we were we were into the NBA coming close to its playoffs, uh, March Madness, as we know, and then baseball was around baseball. the corner at this point,
0: yeah, yeah, it, I mean, yeah, it's a huge so it was a huge time for sports, and i um I do touch a little bit on sports. I honestly think that um sports. It deserves it. Sports and COVID deserves its own treatment of a book to this size. I think there's a lot of um, there's really, I think, between the bubbles, but then also or maybe sports in 2020, just in general, um, all the protests and the sports bubbles and. Now, I think even thinking about the politics of vaccines and the vaccine rollout in terms of the NBA, I like I really think there's a lot to think about and talk about in relation to sports and and this particular historical moment in terms of social justice, but also in terms of um, the global pandemic. So I think. That I don't want to give the impression that I'm covering too much sports in this book. Um, although it's a huge deal. I think I would love to read somebody else's work on right. sports if they to wanted to nothing, do that.
1: To say nothing of all the political stuff that happened last year during this period with George Floyd and some of the other incidents where it all, all wove together. I mean, when you, when yeah. you talk about 2020, it's going to end up being one of those years that people are going to write books about forever.
0: Yeah. I, and I do think that, you know, you said like, it's called Hollywood shutdown, but it's really a global issue. And Hollywood is obviously global. I think one of the real challenges writing this book and being, trying to be very focused in terms of what I'm covering. Um, there are definitely places where I talk about specific other like national contexts in terms of the theaters in particular, but, um, trying to really, um, focus on hollywood and global hollywood but also focus on the pandemic even though everything else there's so many other things that are going on in 2020 so it's it is you're right there there's a lot to pro- i think there's a lot for us to process as scholars and there's a lot for us to be able to uh or in the future where we'll be thinking about this particular year i think um in relation to you know right. culture and All sorts of things. So I think uh, like one of the things I kind of kept telling myself in this book is that I want it to be a starting point or a reference point um, that, you know, as you said, that maybe some of us were too exhausted or overwhelmed (laughs) to pay attention to everything that was happening. So maybe this, this book in particular can be a good little primer for people who need to get caught up on what happened because they were, you know basically trying to survive and just keep their kids like in virtual school or people who are kind of trying to look back and remember how things unfolded. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think
1: we're going to get a lot of memoirs. (laughs) We already have a few out there, but I think it's (laughs) going to continue. One of the things you talk about early on in this, and it's, it's Hmm. important to mention because we sort of talked about it um, earlier and that's China. That because it was considered to be the the epicenter of this, they actually uh, shut down before the United States, but also reopened earlier. Uh, and what did did the United States use any of what China was doing as a guideline for what they ended up doing, or was China, United States seemed so haphazard? Not that that was wrong. I mean, who knew? But, I mean, it, it it just seemed like China was ahead, but for good reason. They were dealing with the pandemic long before we were.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it, that's a good question, and it would be hard.
1: Yeah, it's China hard.
0: China was, was more locked down um and wuhan was
1: more locked down that's right because we really didn't go into full lockdown until march or later than that i mean um like i said before my wife was locked was at home beginning at the late march and into april and april was the key month to a large extent of lockdowns and um so yeah, I could imagine that that would make it a little bit tough to, and we didn't. Yeah. Even the United States never did a full lockdown. They didn't come close to a full lockdown. People would still go to stores and stuff, and and that was going on.
0: And and our contact tra- our contact tracing, I don't think was quite as robust either. So I think, um, I mean, I I'm, I guess one of the things that is just continues to be discouraging for all of us in many sectors is it doesn't seem like. I'm not sure how much we're learning from any stage of this pandemic,
1: but right. um, I think, look at 1918 yeah. and I see the signs for uh, back then that there was, you know, people were anti-mask. There were groups that were anti-mask back in 1918. There's poster boards of stuff of that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, okay. the other thing that you mentioned early on in the introduction is of course, when pandemic sudden where the pandemic suddenly became real quote unquote was when Tom yeah. Hanks and, and, and his wife, announced that they had COVID and suddenly everybody said, Oh my. And then that suddenly became a, a a linchpin in some ways.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I think, I mean, I, yeah, obviously I think there's like a lot of linchpins and maybe those realizations were different for many people, but, um, hearing that sort of moment of a celebrity and then you have a few, you have Idris Elba and some other people who followed, but Tom Hanks, who's, Right. I think you realize like, oh, this is this is a major a major star um, who who got this and there's not much that you can that you can really kind of do about this. You just have to basically lock down. So, yeah, this is I think that sort of moment of the celebrity announcement makes it makes it real. I, or I guess the way to put it would be no amount of money um, insulates you from from the pandemic or from covid. Got your happy price, price line.
1: So the book is, uh, after the introduction, you broke it down into three chapters, as you mentioned earlier. Chapter one's production, chapter two is distribution, and chapter three is exhibition. Now, obviously, there is overlap between the three, but uh, let's go ahead and start with production, because obviously, that's the biggest step in any kind of, of uh, Hollywood activity and that's how you produce your materials and 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 we even talked about this very briefly in in when we talked about the other books and that's how hollywood quickly and i say quickly cuz i was shocked by how fast certain things came back up was developing new ways to pr- to produce and including the ability to use actors and people celebrities from their homes use and and improving their uh material their their ways of presenting including things like microphones and video and things like that so when i i I think i'm right am i right not that this was it was very quick turnaround for some of this
0: yes um yeah there was a some of these shows adapted incredibly quickly there's obviously with live um i think it differs for what we're whatever kind of Shows you're talking about, but some of these, like, you know, the Jimmy Kimmels, the Trevor Noah's, the talk shows, the live audience things, those were sh- those shut down the audience, the live audience aspect really quickly. Um, and then some of them within like hours of saying, Okay, we're not gonna shoot with an audience, and said, just kidding, <laughs> canceled until further notice. Um, and then had people sort of setting up productions like in in their homes as is the case with like samantha b who had basically her husband and children filming everything up in the woods um or trevor noah who was also filming out of his home so they were able to adapt very quickly um with kind of with virtual setups for these shows so yeah they were some of these changes were quite innovative um i think Done very quickly. The Trevor Noah examples the one I discussed with. Yeah, a you talk bit about in
1: a lot of detail yeah. the daily yeah. uh, social distancing show.
0: Yeah. And I think and I think that he he, you know, I, some of what I think what looking back on some of these changes that's really interesting to me is who sort of did things just like okay, this is like a stopgap, and who really took the pandemic as an opportunity to rethink a lot about how they're with, about what's essential to your show, what's essential to, you know, how you're creating media. I think this is, it was really similar as someone, you know, as on a personal level, when you're teaching, so much of like what you had to do during the pandemic is really kind of rethink like, okay, so what do I, what's essential to my class and what's really not essential? Um, and how do I adapt my teaching methods to really hone in on those key qualities? So I think- there's a lot of reflection that happened both on the on and I think in terms of everyone's work um but Hollywood for sure because
1: one of the things that happened is in some cases things were paused but there were other things that were literally cancelled basically they're done and they're never coming back or at least in theory and and that's not a surprise because it happened in other industries as well. And and that's part of what this book is, is it's an example more so than, I mean, I mean yes, we know it's Hollywood, but we can see similarities in other uh, professions and industries as well. But you gave the example, the other example you used besides um, The Daily Show was uh, One Day at a Time and the the re- what was the, essentially a reboot, but pretty much different too it wasn't meant to be the exact same thing and and what happened to it
0: yeah i mean that show has such a fraught history which i talk a little bit about in terms of like its relationship to netflix and then getting picked up by pop tv and you know i so i think on some level that show is really like an interesting would be just an interesting case study for anyone thinking about the contemporary media industries and the and the life of a television show across platforms. But um yeah, that you know, I think Gloria Calderon Kellitz are really um, I would recommend anyone follow her on Twitter. She's a really interesting Twitter follow. She's really transparent or at least say transparent. Obviously, there's a great deal of self-curation that's happening with anyone's Twitter feed, but she is a very interesting Twitter follow in terms of um, thinking about issues of Latinx representation on television and um, talking about like on television, but also behind the camera. Um, But she was really, I think thinking aloud via social media about how do you do this (laughs) how do you how do you make a show under these conditions and I think in part because she was worried that this was probably her last chance to get these episodes on screen so she I thought she was particularly um, she was someone who's just particularly visible in terms of trying to find solutions and trying to find solutions very quickly Um, and the animated episode I think is a really was a nice creative fix and um, which
1: unfortunately ended up being the last episode too though they did even though the plan yeah. was to continue it didn't happen that's sort of an yeah. example of something that just disappeared
0: totally yeah. and of course the other
1: <coughs> excuse me i have to cut that out the issue related to production is there were feature films that were in the middle of Shooting. I think uh, the latest Mission Impossible will probably win the award for the longest movie ever filmed. Actually, probably not true, but it's going to seem that way because it was being filmed at the time the pandemic hit. And I think they finally just wrapped on it recently. So, I mean, production ended up being a big issue. And we'll talk more about exhibition and distribution with films that were actually ready to go and already had release dates. But uh, production ended up being an issue not only for. The work, but also all the people involved. A lot of people suddenly were out of work, and some of these were the people that we talked about with the previous book. uh, You know, the the -the below-the-line people who uh, depended on that for (laughs) their—they didn't have contracts that necessarily helped, gave them continued pay after uh, during the shutdown, and and they were in a position where suddenly uh, they were out of work, and they weren't sure when they were going to go back. Which once again mirrors quite well the rest of society.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I mean, I, one of the things that I think I've been thinking about a lot actually, or was thinking a lot about when everything was shutting down is I think a lot of times when we talk about Hollywood productions, um, people are really enamored with technology um, and what technology brings to the table in terms of, you know, the magic of filmmaking. I think the pandemic was a really um, clear reminder that, that movies are still made by people. <laughs> um, and they're made by people who have to work in person. So, um, yeah, so this was an, a clearly immensely disruptive. Um, there have, there have, however, been some really interesting kind of technological innovations as part of this and thinking about like, um, using various video game engines to help shoot, or create, um, you know, virtual locations. So there's some interesting things happening um, in terms of that. But, but yeah, I think this this was incredibly disruptive, left a lot of people out of work. Um, I don't think it is surprising that um, we're seeing some, um, this potential strike and a lot of conversations around working conditions with Yahtzee. given that people spent a lot of time at home thinking about not being employed and their working conditions. So um, I was reading something, re- there's a Pew study that said two thirds of Americans thought about changing their job <laughs> in 2020. Um, so we had a lot of time to think about work.
1: Well, and we're still dealing with issues related to work shortages, and it tends to be the jobs that Maybe people weren't that happy with in the first place, and so they've tr- they're doing something different. And uh, so it, it, it like we say, there's so much that's going to come out of this uh, period of time that it will have ramifications forever. One of the areas that I saw that production very quickly ramped back up was in advertising. <laughs> um, it was not unusual to see commercials that quickly either. Use the pandemic, at least in some way, shape, or form. You started to see phrases like, in these trying times in an advertising, which without coming right out, then you start to see mask. But then, like you say, the technology part comes in. And, and if anybody keeps their eye, I even mean, if they watch commercials, and I watch them just because I want to, the technology part is, how many commercials nowadays aren't filmed on any kind of location? They're all with green screens. And that just would just continue on obviously during the pandemic where producing commercials ended up and still is to this, to even now built around the idea of being as small as possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, and and I would just add to that too, that, that Georgia reopened really quickly um, and a lot of commercials. I mean, there are a lot of union commercials, but also a lot of non-union commercials and um, basically people were shooting commercials here almost the entire time. So, um, because we were in Georgia, barely shut down. So, um, you know, yeah, I, you know, I, I hope that everyone was being as safe as possible and that nobody got seriously ill from that. But I think, you know, hard, hard to track cause there's so much of that kind of production happening. So well, we would hear
1: regular stories about a particular movie that was ba- that had gone back into production or started production and then had to shut down for two weeks or a period of time because of COVID. So same way with sports, obviously, although now we've finally hit, you know, for whatever reason, we got through a baseball season without huge ramifications. So far, no football game has been postponed or had to be rescheduled because of it. But so it's still, like you say, it's one of those things where we won't know for a while until – we know. Everybody kept on hoping yeah. for being told, this is when it ends. And of course, we're not going to know when it ends forever. So production... <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I would add to that as somebody who, who's also kind of thinking about a, a larger pandemic book, I think part of what has been like, I'm sort of in a moment of trying to critically reframe that this is not necessarily going to be like a thing that's... it's. This is a thing that started. This is not going to be a thing that stopped. And so... Um, maybe thinking a little bit more along the lines of, you know, HIV AIDS as another kind of pandemic that doesn't really have an end date, um, for how do you deal with crisis? How do you deal with crisis that is ongoing that can't really stop? So I'll be thinking a little bit about some of those things as I move forward. That of course
1: is one of the other differences between this and the Spanish flu where it ended. Yeah. You know, it, it it seemingly had a finite end, where everybody that knows anything and that you, that's reasonably trustworthy is saying that this isn't something that's going to go away magically. Even though a lot of people want to believe that that's the way it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, it it would be nice if it did, but I don't think any. Right. I, don't think, I don't think that's happening.
1: So then chapter two is about distribution, which, once again, we've talked about that briefly when it comes to the streaming services. But obviously, distributing your product becomes a major issue uh, during a pandemic or during any kind of major situation like this. And obviously, what we talked about and what we saw was, as we've mentioned, is the streaming services, which were already in existence, at least in some form or another, suddenly ramped up to becoming um, much more important than the original ideas were to the extent now where there are so many of them, but they still seem to be cut through various obvious ways. So, for example, we've got uh, Disney that is clearly, you know, you know which studios are involved with that one. You've got Paramount, you've got... uh, 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 peacock which of course is universal and so on and so forth but these companies are now becoming much more important in the uh distribution phase of of material and much of that was because the pandemic sort of forced the issue
0: yeah it's um yeah i mean we talked about this a little bit this this was um (coughs) excuse me we talked about this a little bit that um these streaming service were services were always set to launch in 2020. So none of that's really too much of a surprise. And you know, we had seen a lot of acquisitions that were a part, that were about shoring up your content library to have a lot of older content um for people to choose from on these different these different services. So this is all sort of basically what we kind of were expecting to happen at 2020. Um, no one expected to sit at home and you know rent trolls world tour i was gonna say how have we not talked about trolls world tour yet um no one expected to be watching trolls world tour um at home instead of in the theater i mean i guess i are, frankly I, I didn't think don't.
1: about watching it in either place but that's okay
0: <laughs> i yeah, i was going to say i haven't actually watched trolls world tour so i should I, you know, I, I did not, I did not spend money to rent Trolls World Tour in April, but, um, yeah, I think the real, the real thing that nobody expected to happen was, um, you know, that this would be our only way of getting movies, including new movies. Um, the kinds of things that these streaming services were thinking about putting on their services to launch and to draw new subscribers were things like the friends reunion, um, which is, different in terms of scale than a movie that you spent, you know, a hundred million dollars making.
1: Yeah. Cause one of the things is we're talking, the book basically covers that March to September period. And a lot of these ramifications didn't really happen until after that period. We know that Warner, I don't remember exactly. And you can tell me better. When did Warner announce that they were going to launch on HBO max their feet some of their feet what they originally said their entire slate of feature films
0: december um well, see, so that yeah that already you know, after yeah they they announced that in december this was just as i was finishing up writing this book um uh, yeah that and there's some interest i think and again speaking to those ramifications you know caa or create the creative argent art, art artists agency um one of the major talent agencies in hollywood issued a very swift response, um, to Warner media in December that they, that basically this was like a move that you did in poor faith. Um, and, you know, fast forward to July and Scarlett Johansson, who is repped by CAA is suing Disney over putting her movie day and date on streaming. So I think like when we think about these ramifications, some of it's about kind of release strategy but also some of its some of these are right these conflicts these labor conflicts that are happening we're seeing aren't necessarily like immediate um but might be 6 months out or a year out um so yeah we're still we're still kind of reeling from some of these changes um and some of this is really you know i think this is and this is the conversation with that we had about below the stars is that labor sometimes has to be a little bit. I don't. I don't know that labor art necessarily doesn't foresee the changes that are happening, but labor sometimes is in a position of being very reactive to changes. Um, and uh, there was obviously no way to be proactive about these releases. Scarlett Johansson's lawyers and agents were not negotiating for her for Black Widow to be day and date. Nobody. Nobody predicted that um, when she was. You know working out her agreement um, to for that standalone film. So, of course, um, she
1: was actually a producer on that, so that helped yeah. her. That gave her agency that an actor probably wouldn't have had um, yes. because it was as a producer that she was able to, to to bring the suit, which actually has been settled, although nothing's been yeah. settled as to exactly what, but obviously money was involved. Of course, that was with Disney, and one of the differences at Disney, day and date, they were always charging extra for. Uh, well,
0: most films. and Warner media negotiated. They already, they settled with all of their talent, their top end talent. I mean, so like, I mean, yeah, Warner media, like when they made this announcement, then made sort of, you know, settled with Patty Jenkins and settled with like other people who had these deals. Um, And Disney just did it, um, which is a different, which is a totally kind of different situation. Uh, But
1: I'm, you know, once again, we're talking about periods after the book, but one of the things yeah. I've noticed with HBO Max is I don't think they've been particularly successful with a lot of the properties they, they did this with. I mean, most of the films, that the, I can only think of one or two, and I even can't even think of a title off the top of my head now, but even though they're there, that they were particular. People looked at the film and said it was a good film. In many cases, it was sort of like, eh, we didn't spend a lot of money putting them into theaters because... Why you know it's they actually save money in the long run by doing it, but um, I've, I'll be admit I some of the HBO Maxes I kept on saying yeah I'm going to watch that and never got around to watching them and of course they were only for specific periods but then they come back. That was the other thing about distribution that changed particularly in this period, but even more now we're seeing it even more. It was already quick these days just to win a, a a movie even before the pandemic would show up on digital and then physical media and that's part of the uh this distribution part but now an exhibition too but now it's just so quick that a movie that's in the theaters you know even once theaters reopen goes to home video so fast that uh and the pandemic I think helped to push that even faster.
0: Yeah, those yeah all those I mean yeah it- in really clear terms all that got renegotiated um with or well not all of it but um and AMC in particular renegotiated those theatrical windows um during the pandemic um yeah well i will say that one of the things and this is just like purely gossip rumor and Who knows if this was sort of Well, this isn't
1: an academic book so much so we can gossip and rumor all we want. Yeah,
0: I was going to say some of it and some of it is like, and I think like the academic side of me is sort of like some of this gossip like or these public speculations about why Hollywood did certain things are things that we can analyze as discourse anyways, although this is not necessarily something I want to like dive into in a book that's for more of a general audience. But I think, One of one of the things that came out around the Warner Media release was that maybe they weren't that they basically weren't that confident with their 2021 slate, Um,
1: which is sort of what I said when I said yeah no
0: totally that's what I was gonna say which is what you said is like in reality like a lot of these movies aren't great Um, and so but then you're it's kind of like well that's a real (laughs) that's a really kind of rough statement to make about your entire slate of movies and what is wrong with your studio that you can't, that you're basically saying your entire year is kind of mediocre. Um, Maybe you should try to, I don't know. I don't know. How did that happen? How do you end up with so many films you don't feel confident in? So I maybe, you know, on the one hand, maybe that's true and maybe that's what led to this decision. On the other hand, maybe they're saying that because it tempers expectations for the box office for these films. Um, So it's hard to really know. It's maybe impossible to know. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, some of this is a problem. What I would add to some of the things you're saying about that you meant to watch something and then it was gone and then it comes back and you forget about it. The marketing for things that go to streaming is... I. You know, Netflix is kind of notorious for not doing a great job of marketing things because they just rely on you seeing it on their service, but there's no other way that you're becoming aware of it. Marketing for streaming is something that I think hasn't quite been figured out. And right now, especially, it's, I think it's really confused. It's hard to tell when things are coming out, both because there's not a lot of marketing and both because release dates are still all over the place. I I keep a spreadsheet. (laughs) of these release dates. And I honestly just kind of gave up with James Bond because it was too many. (laughs) I needed a separate like column to note how many times they changed the release date. Because just having the kind of like, what was the initial pre-pandemic release date? What was the Change, you know, having like those categories couldn't even encapsulate the amount of times they changed the um, release for right. No Time to Die. It's out though.
1: Yeah, it so. finally came out and it's actually doing very well in the box office. Yeah. So I haven't seen it yet. I do, point, I actually do want to see it and we'll probably go yeah. to a theater. I just don't know when. The theater around where I live, I'm in a small area, they're still only showing late afternoons except on release. Like Fridays, they'll have a more, an afternoon early afternoon showing. But getting to the movies is still, you know, I don't mind. But uh, there's still not a lot of people in them. I mean, I I saw Black Widow in the theater, and that was probably the first movie I went to a theater to see. And there was no question that I was literally the only person in the theater. And it was a 12 o'clock showing, and... I wished I almost yelled, wanted to yell back. Of course, there's no human being there. I want to say, hey, could you pause that? I've got to go to the bathroom because that's what we're used to at home now. And, of course, that issue. But I think part of the other issue is there are so many different streaming services now, and they all have their own windows of what they have access to. And that makes it tough, too. You have to say to yourself, okay, where did I, where, what where has this show? I mean, you have to figure out and, and 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 you have to decide if you're how many of the streaming services you're actually going to subscribe to. And that mm-hmm. adds to the problem as well, especially like you say, it used to be Netflix was the place. So you people would go on. But I there are a number of days that I don't even it's been a while sometimes before I even go on Netflix sometimes.
0: Yeah, there's so many. I, yeah, I, it's I. I. Similarly, I feel like it's, I go through phases of like, okay, right now, like the, what my go-to is Amazon. Right. Sometimes my go-to is Netflix. It's, you just kind of get in a rut. It's, it's like you get a little fatigued trying to go through every single one to pick something to watch. By the time you pick something, sometimes you're.
1: And, of course, part of the, the cottage hour. industry out there now is people who put out lists of what's coming and going from the various streaming services at the end of each month, and they've become go-to. You talk about your spreadsheets. It's the same concept of knowing, yeah. okay, who has what movie? Oh, I want to see yeah. this movie. I haven't seen it for a while. Where do I go to get it? And it, it is. It's incredibly uh, tricky. So we're talking about the, the third chapter's exhibition, and as we've pointed out, the movie theaters have opened... Uh, to a large extent, uh, we are getting films showing up now. Marvel has already gotten two more out since yeah. the, in the period of time and Black Widow was good. I thought uh, the second one was very good. Um, no time to die finally made it out and is doing very well. But uh, when we talk about exhibition, what what, what, what in this early period uh, turned out to be so important? In this, May, in this March to September period?
0: Yeah, in the March to September period, I think, you know, a lot of things, obviously, a lot of stuff went straight to uh, the premium video on demand. So there was an upcharge for a lot of these films, whether that was $12.99 or um, $19.99 or $29.99. Those were the kind of key price points, I would say. I think, I mean, it's, I think that it's really, hard to even say what was kind of important and what made like a real impact because we don't necessarily have a lot of reliable data on any of that. Um, I guess I would say the kind of key, I think the most important thing that kind of came out of that is basically that studios have found a way to kind of control their data and control um, the financial sort of metric for what constitutes success. They get to tell us what's successful, Um, Rather than, you know, allowing us to see box office numbers. Obviously, that's only one kind of metric of success um, in general. But um, I think the other thing I've been thinking a lot about in terms of these movies, it's like harder to think about what what does it mean for a film or how does a film become kind of part of the like cultural moment i feel like we definitely in the pandemic i mean we had tiger king right like we had a few
1: which i'm actually Tigers proud of that i've never seen and i have no interest in seeing
0: it. i yeah i think i must say i think you're your probably I, I i did contribute a um an essay to an edited collection on tiger king but i'm not necessarily gonna tell you that you have to go see it so i think we definitely had some viral programs or things that were very buzzy during the pandemic um but i think there are other films um you know that had if you were meant to come out at one time and came out later and they're speaking you're then being released at a time where you're speaking to a different cultural moment so thinking about like how films might resonate how they might miss their moment based on all these kinds of shifts or just um, not even shifts, just not getting seen because they're part of a really crowded landscape. Um, I, I I imagine, I can't imagine kind of having to be a critic during that moment and mm-hmm. sort of see everything on strange timelines. Um,
1: of so. course, the other thing I is that have... depending on the studio, and in this case, I'm thinking Marvel, their movies are so interconnected that, for example, did it matter that Black Widow... when When is Black Widow in the, for lack of a better way to put it, timeline? Well, as it turns out, it really wasn't that important for a timeline because it was a film from the past, and even the, the post-credit sequence of, related to something that hasn't come out yet. So it worked out fine, but um, obviously a, a, a movie like that. But uh, I think, uh, like you say... Uh, the studios, I think one of the things that's proven is that the production and the studios and, and some of the creative folks figured out ways to keep going and and not completely destroy their, their uh, systems. And now, of course, when we're talking about television, uh, all of the uh, talk shows have returned to studios, although Trevor Noah still doesn't have a live audience. He's doing it from the studio, but he's by himself where everybody else at least has a semblance of a of a small audience, but and the regular what we would call regular series, new and returning series, have all pretty much appeared on time. So now, but back then, I during that distribution exhibition period, that uh, you didn't know for sure what you were going to see. Unfortunately, the other thing that we're seeing more of is more reality uh, game show type things, cheap productions to fill time that unfortunately happened as I think we didn't t- mention it specifically, but it was during a strike where uh, we started to see the rise of that. And now of course it's just gotten a bit ubiqu- ubiquitous.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, I think also, you know, there's a lot of <clears throat> spending on shows at this point. So reality is a good way to kind of fill out some of these things on a lower budget.
1: To say nothing of the fact is it can be timeless. I mean, there's no reason that, I mean, that's the good thing is we've got feature films that are now should have been released over a year ago and have therefore been filmed more than two years ago in many cases, if not longer. And they worked because there really wasn't anything in them that made any difference as far as dating was concerned.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: your conclusion then is labeled, where do we go from here? Obviously, once again, we've been talking about only a small period. And and when you wrote that, was that when did you actually write that conclusion? Given that you your your proposal was accepted in October and you move forward from there, when did the conclusion come? And what uh, what conclusions could you actually make given the time period?
0: So the I so the <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> The original draft of the conclusion was written in January, 2021. I think that I'm trying to remember when I could, when the last moment was that I could make changes or additions, maybe March, I think, February, March, I think was when I was, was my last kind of moment for like substantive content changes. So, um, so we're about seven months maybe out or seven or more months out from when I wrote wrote this conclusion. Um, so, I guess the question might be what I'm thinking about differently, or what I think is maybe things that we should be paying attention to. I think really, the most kind of essential thing that I think we should be looking at right now are the various forms of labor unrest um, and how we can draw connections across those um, or think about them in the same as, as being related. Um, So I think that to me is the thing that I find. And I don't think that's just about sort of my predisposition to think about labor in all things, but I think that um, when we It's not, you know, I I talked a little bit about how a lot of workers across the US are reflecting on their career choices and maybe changes in them. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, But I also think that there are all these streaming services, the increased reliance on streaming services, um, all of that requires a lot more content. not so much about filling time right now as is is about creating at least the illusion of library or catalog depth and breadth um so there's a lot of demand for content and I think there's only so much money to be spent so there are a lot of attempts to keep costs way down and I think that can be very very um hard on the people who make film and television so I think really um Those are the things that I would say that we should be looking towards or looking at as as the industry kind of readjusts to the new normal, which is this kind of reliance on streaming, reliance on, you know, all these digital distribution systems. And for the foreseeable future, the continued COVID protocols, because I don't think we're really, you know, we still have these COVID compliance teams on set. There's still testing going on. We're still in a pandemic. And I don't know when, I don't, I'm not really sure personally when we're going to get to a point where these kinds of things, we stop having to do these things.
1: Well, and a couple of things. Number one, it, this goes back to your, to the previous book when we were talking about it with voice actors, mm. where now, and you pointed it out then, and it, it's still important. Now, now that we're talking pandemic, that when we talked about it in your other, the other book, it wasn't specifically COVID-related. But now where voice actors or any kind of actor or per, uh, entertainer is largely expected to take care of their own technology that you mentioned yeah. with that. And now it's just gotten more so where um, no matter what you do, whether you're people who record audio books, people who uh, are animation voices, they're expected to pretty much be prepared to do it on their own now. And instead, and that's going to probably continue because as you point out, it's cheaper.
0: Yeah. I well, yeah, it's like that train has now left the station, so to speak. Um, I yeah, I felt a little bit about that. I think occasionally you read you read works of scholarship talking about labor conditions and that are from, you know, a certain amount of years ago, and people are pointing out like this this big change that isn't so big at the time. (laughs) Um, And you just kind of look at it and go, Oh, they had, they have no idea what's coming down the pipeline. And I felt a little bit about that's sort of how I felt about the voice labor or voice actor chapter is that I was, I'm talking about all these, you know, the self-directing, the self-recording. And I, as this kind of key thing that's happening and I was like, Oh, wow, I didn't, this, this is, that was so minor. (laughs) in hindsight, um, to what this has become and what this will probably be in the future. Cause once you, I mean, I think this is like, once, once you concede certain things and once people realize it's that much cheaper, it's very hard to go back. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, well, that's a real downer ending. Right.
1: Well, unfortunately, <laughs> that, this is what happens yeah. when you don't have a real ending. I mean, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're just at a, <laughs> you know, we paused at September and we now know what's happened since. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. we know where the story went, so to speak. We didn't have to wait for the writer to come along and do the sequel. Uh, yeah. But uh, I think uh, this is one of the things I enjoyed so much about this book, Hollywood Shutdown. And it is priced for. The general audience, they don't have to worry about spending the kind of money that sometimes academic uh, um, writing costs. So this is definitely, it's an early look at what will, as we've already talked about, be a, a topic that will continue to be discussed and reviewed. And as time goes on, and little by little, eventually over time, it's going to be a studied period once you know, with archival material available to try to get a better sense and interviewing and and talking to people who were involved in some of these decisions over time. But that's something that doesn't happen right away. So I really think it makes for a very great introduction and preparation so that anybody that wants to get a quick sense of pandemic, how the pandemic affected a particular industry, it's a great start thank you so thank you a lot we talked about both of your books today although and we recorded them separately but that's great i want to thank you for all of your time today and i hope uh the books continue to be of interest to folks i think uh uh i found them incredibly great and each of them has their you know their major selling points and i hope people continue to uh to, to do them, to read them, and I obviously I can tell from what we've already discussed that both are topics that you will be continuing to revisit in future writing, and a lot of the other materials that you've done so far tends to be all interrelated to that. So I think it's a topic that definitely needs to have this kind of coverage.
0: Thank you. I I, I hope so. Okay. I will continue. I can as I continue to work on it. So. So. Well, thank you for
1: all of your time today, and uh, I really appreciate that we talked. Thanks for the great interviews, Kate. Dr. Fort Mueller is a great source for Hollywood labor information. This is Joel Cherney, and I will be back soon with more New Books and Film, a podcast series on the New Books Network.